0: Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We are glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message.
1: Amos chapter 8, written from verse number 11, the Bible tells us this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God. That I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of word bread, nor a thirst for water, but the hearing of the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord. Unfortunately, but they shall not find it. And that is what we see in our community and in our society today the house of God, where where you're supposed to have the word of God, where you're supposed to have the bread of life, is gradually becoming a place where the word of God is becoming very scarce. We live in an increasingly polarized culture, you know, while the larger society that we find ourselves is increasingly becoming hostile to the Christian faith. Those of us who are within the house of God, those of us who are within the church of God, we are increasingly becoming ignorant of the word of God we are ignorant of what the bible is saying what the bible teaches we are ignorant of the faith of our faith of what our faith is all about we are ignorant of what it takes to follow the lord jesus christ we are ignorant of what it means to follow the lord jesus christ and this is the situation that we are beginning to find an average member of the church comes to church and they believe that coming to you know they are following the lord jesus christ is all about coming to church and doing the religious things you know they think that Christianity is just about a group of people identifying themselves together, and it's just what good people do, what people do on Sundays. That's what it is. That's what Christianity is all about, you know. And those of us who are born in the church, we just believe that, you know, Christianity is what what we've been doing. That's what I've been born into. It's business as usual, you know. But following Christ is more than just business as usual. Following Christ is not just going to church. Following Christ is not just what we do on Sunday. It is much more. The question is, what is it when you say you are following the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And that is what we want to be talking about this morning. John chapter 14, reading from verse number 6, the Bible tells us there, Jesus said unto them, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, from this verse of the scripture, you can see what it means to follow to follow Lord Jesus Christ. What it means to be a Christian. It simply means, number one, walking in the way. Jesus said, I am the way. So when you say you are a Christian, you are walking in the way. Number two, when you say you are a Christian, it means believing the truth. I am the way, the truth. When you say you are a Christian, it means having the life of God. I am the way, the truth and the life. A person who calls himself a Christian who doesn't have the life of Christ is not a Christian. There has to be that connection. The blood of Jesus Christ must have done something in our lives and transformed our lives so that we now begin to live, not by our own power, but his own power. The life of God must be in us. That's what it means to be a Christian. In other words, Christianity is a way of life. Following Christ is a lifestyle. Following Christ is a lifestyle. It is the way we see the world and the way we relate to it. As a Christian there's a way we see the world that is different from the way other people see the world. There's a way we relate to the world that is different from the way other people relate to the world. And if you say you are a Christian, it's a lifestyle. It's the way you see and relate to the world. It this is you know and this in our culture today appear to be a radical claim. When you live differently, when you live when you live in a way that doesn't follow other we follow the way other people live. It looks contrary. And that is why the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is not common it's not popular. You see, people now dressed and they have uh, what they call—they have this jewelry and they have this uh, cross on it. When the cross was the cross, it was not a fashion statement. When the cross was the cross, it was a sign of—you know, it was a sign of—it uh, it, it was something that was used to to, 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 to kind of—to—to uh, to, to, to label people who were condemned. It was just a sign that you put on a Gucci bag or things like that. It was something that was different. So today, what you'll find is that the true gospel, the the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, is not a popular message. So you see, when Jesus said, follow me, he's he's asking you to live a radically different life. When Jesus said, come and follow me, he's asking you to live a radically different life. He's asking you to relate to the world around you from a different point of view. He's asking you to operate in the world in an uncommon way. He's asking you to be able to live by a different standard. That's what it means when Jesus says, come and follow me. You read that verse of the scripture where we had our congregational reading. He said, come and follow me. He said, wait, let me go and bury my father. He said, no. Let the dead bury their dead. It's asking you to live by a different standard. But the question this morning is, how do you follow Christ in this particular culture? How do you do it? How do you follow the Christ in a culture where moral relativism is the order of the day? Where everybody, so every, where every principle is reduced to personal preference. It is what I like. So when I give you the message of the cross, if you don't like it, you say it doesn't matter, it doesn't apply to me. How do you live in that kind of a culture? How do you live in a culture that have what is called moral equivalence? Where everybody, everybody's culture, everybody's opinion is equally valid. Somebody tells you that the way the only way you can put water in the pot is by upside down because you don't want to be offensive because you have to be inclusive you agree with that point of view there are some point of view that are outrightly stupid you know it is stupid but because we don't want to offend anybody what happened we include them we accept them how do you live as a christian in that environment how do you live as a Christian in an environment where there is economic and social pragmatism? And what that simply means is that what works best is what is right. A man that makes money, a man that is rich, for some reason is the, he has the he, you know is the authority on everything. He can never be wrong. As long as you are rich and famous, you can never make mistakes. How do you live in the how do you live for the Lord Jesus Christ in an environment like that? How do you follow Christ in an environment where everybody believes that they are right and a call to repentance is seen as a personal assault? How do you live in that environment? How do you challenge somebody that you know their lives are completely opposed to the word of God, but you cannot call them to repentance? Because if you do that, you are very you are you are a bigot. If you do that, you are intolerant. If you do that, you are you, you are you are insensitive. How do you tell people that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life? If you cannot control, if you cannot tell people that their lifestyle is contrary to the Word of God, how do you follow Christ? To follow Christ in this environment, my brothers and sisters, where we find ourselves, we must realize that there are what is referred to as competing worldviews competing worldviews. In other words, we must understand that the people around us see the world differently than we who are called Christians. People see things differently based, you know, people see life based on the lens through which they look at life. Okay? So, if you have a lens that is not a Christian lens, you will see this world in a very different way. And unless we understand the way the people around us see the world, unless we understand the competing worldview, unless we understand, we know, unless we understand how the man next to us sees this thing, we will not be able to live effectively as Christians. I remember when I first came into this country. I came from a culture where, when somebody says God. At least we have a common point of reference. So I was talking to this individual. And he was talking God, 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 God. So I thought we were talking about the same God. <laughs> Eventually by the time we moved forward. I realized that he was talking about completely different God. He, was, he doesn't even have any scriptural basis. And that was a root, that's kind of an awakening for me. That you do not assume. That the man next to you shared the same biblical standard. Gone are those days. Where your neighbor and your people you see in school, or the people you work with, they, are, they, they, they have the same, uh, they have the same worldview. They share the same principles with you. Gone are those days. Now, right now, the man sitting next to you might completely have, may, may have an, a worldview that is completely opposed to what you believe. And if you don't understand that, it makes it extremely difficult for you to be able to follow Christ. The question then is: How do the people around us see the world? How do they see the world? In other words, what is the worldview of the people we meet every day the people we walk with every day the people we socialize with every day so, and to answer that question you must understand what the world view is what is a worldview A worldview is a person's view of you know is the person's view of the sun total. Of how that person sees the world. What is the, how that person understands the world. How that person explains the realities of the world. It is the person's big picture view of the world that details the person's daily decisions and that person's daily action. Okay? It is how the person sees and responds to this world. If you see the world, if you see the world as a creation of God, it changes the way you relate to it. It changes the way you relate to a human being. But if you see the world as just a cosmic accident, then you will see man as just another specimen, as just another species that can only survive if it is fit. If it's not fit, then uh, sorry for you. Better luck next time. So a person's worldview is how that person sees the world and responds to it. Now, there are several competing worldviews in this world. Very serious a competing one. But for the sake of this particular message and to keep it very simple, I will classify it into very two broad, very broad classification. The first one is what I refer to as the Christian world view. Okay. And this is the view that says that God is the creator of the universe. That is one view. There is another view which I refer to as a naturalism worldview, which says that uh, everything you see in this world, it can be, you know, the, 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 the belief that natural cause alone is sufficient to explain everything you see in this world. In other words, everything you see in this world is a result of nature. Nature just happened. There was just this cosmic accident. You know, the light just came out of nowhere. Grow into something, and then it created this big bang. And then things started happening. If you believe that, you will see the world like that. Every world view can be analyzed by just some basic questions. In other words, whatever you believe, however you see the world, there are some basic questions that you can use to explain it. And the first question that you can use to explain anything you believe, whatever you believe, that, that thing that you believe must be able to answer this basic question. And the first question is the question of origin. Whatever you believe in, it must answer the question of where we all came from. If you believe that there was a cosmic accident in the whole universe, it tells you that particular theory must answer where we came from. And the answer it gave us is that we came from a slime. That the slime, you know, all of a sudden the cells just came together, they mixed up, they played in the mud, and when they played in the mud, they started replicating after they replicated, they became a fish, they became a dove, whatever, and then they became uh, you know, the, the, the crocodiles, they got tired of living in the water, they stepped out of the water, they walked on land, they got tired of walking on all four, they started standing up and jumping on that is what your, your your philosophy must explain it. Where did we come from? The second thing that your philosophy must explain, your worldview must explain, is the question of purpose. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? If we are all from slime and we became lucky mod and we became, uh, now we became ape that bought, uh, that bought a gillette and shaved off and then we're like this, then you must explain what is the purpose? Why are we here? The third question your way of seeing the world must explain is the question of morality. What is wrong with this world? Your philosophy must explain it. If your philosophy cannot explain it, that's why you don't agree. You will have what is called incoherency. And then the fourth question is the question of redemption. How can we fix the problem? That is the, Those are the four questions. The way you see the world must answer those four questions. And whether you have thought about it or you have not thought about it, whatever idea of the world that you hold, those ideas have gone through these four questions. That's why you are holding those ideas. Okay, and because every of this worldview, everywhere you see the world, because they answer this question, they must also, you know, they, they must also it will be analyzed by another set of questions, and the first they must also pass another uh another kind of test. And the first test that they must pass is the test of what I call of what is referred to as logical consistency. In other words, when you explain that we are all from lucky mode, does it make sense? Okay. That's the first question. Does it make sense? Does it make sense that this thing, this complex machine called human being, can just wake up one morning from a lucky mod and then become what it is like this? And if it is if that is your explanation, why is it that we have not had other lucky mod follow us? Okay? Why have we not had that? In science, that's what is called reproducibility of experiments. That's basically what it is. There are scientists in this room. There are reproducibility of an experiment. In other words, when you do an experiment here in Antioch today and you take it down to New York, you can get the same results if the conditions are the same. If you take it from New York and take it back to my village in Africa, you will get the same results. It doesn't change if, as long as you have the parameters right. If there is a lucky mod and there was a big bang and all those things happened, why is it that we have not had that reproducibility? Why is it that you cannot reproduce it? So you see the logical consistency. Number two, the test that it has to pass is the test of what is called empirical adequacy. Can it be tested? The theory that you are talking about, can it be tested? Christians claim that man can be saved and we see it every day. We can test it. There was a man that was called Jesus, a historical Jesus that walked the face of the earth. It can be tested. There are, there are archaeological records that can be tested. Yeah. But the question is, can your worldview be tested? That is empirical adequacy. The third one is what is called the experiential relevance. Experiential relevance simply say that, does it is it realistic and is it meaningful in everyday life? Is it what you are experiencing? Is it what I'm experiencing? The Christians talk about the issue of saying, you experience it, we can call it different name, but everybody experiences. So those are the three questions. Those are the three tests that it must pass. If it doesn't pass the test of it must pass the test of logical consistency. It must pass the test of empirical adequacy. It must pass the test of experiential relevance. Now let me give an example from the Christian worldview. John chapter three, very popular verse. Everybody knows it. John chapter three, reading from verse number sixteen. He said, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life." Now, if you take that particular verse of the scripture, which encompasses all, basically what the Christian view is all about, it summarizes everything that we believe as a Christian. If you take that same verse of the scripture, and you begin to apply each of those questions to it, you will see that, you will see that the Christian view is not only consistent, it's not only, it's not only tested, it's not only that you can test it, it's also experiential. In other it's the experience of everybody. So the first question is question of origin. What does the Christian faith say about origin? Where did we come from? The Bible tells us that we are made by God. Okay? Number two, the question of purpose. Why are we here? The Bible tells us that we are here to worship and to glorify God. The question number three, the question of morality. What went wrong? The Bible tells us sin was the problem. Mm. And then how can we fix it? The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the only remedy. Very, very simple and consistent. And if you read from Genesis to Revelation, that is what you are going to find. And if you look at the experience of man, that is what you see. Man is in need of a savior. Man cannot help himself. And the problem is that there is a vacuum that only God can fill. And why is it that, why is it that there's a vacuum that only God can fill? Because God is the one that made it. It's a very simple, you know, it's a very logically, you know, logical system of, of argument. Now, if you test the Christian worldview on all those three questions, you will notice that the Christian message is not only consistent in the, in the answer to provide, the Christian message can be tested, and there are historic, like I said, there's a historical Jesus, and there are thousands of scrolls to support our claim. The Christian answer aligns with our daily experience of sin. Everybody knows that we have a problem. Somebody picks up a gun, walks into a store, and begins to shoot everybody. You know, you can say it's psychological. You can say they have mental problems. You can say they have depression. But we know it is the nature of man sin that is at the root of all this. If you test other worldview, the thing that you find mostly in their, in their in their issue is that they all fall on the weight of their internal inconsistencies. It's not because of what anybody says, but because of what they claim, those claims, they will not be able to stand. They are not, not all of them are verifiable. Many people have heard about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. There is little, you know, the, the number of scrolls and evidence to support the existence of a Bible is over a hundred times more than the existence of the, more than, more than the support for the existence of Plato, Aristotle, and, uh, and Socrates. And yet people take Socrates to be more authority than the Bible. So that tells you it's not because of lack of evidence, it's just because of what they want to believe. But that's the story for another day. So they are not every one of their not not one of the not every one of those theories are verifiable. And they do not align with the experiences that they are telling us. When you are telling us that only all, all that man does is just man is just to come here, live and die, and that's it. But that's not it. There is a hunger in the spirit of every man. There is a hunger for more. There is a cry in the de- at the depth of your heart that you want to see more of God. Okay? So you see, if you believe the world is a cosmic accident, if you believe that the sole purpose of man is for self-actualization, if you believe that the problem of man is just environmental, social, or political, if you believe that redemption can only come through government, through the education, and through politics, then it will affect the way you think. It will affect the way you think. But if you believe that God is the creator of the universe. If you believe that your purpose is to worship him. If you believe that sin is the problem. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the way out of all this trouble. It will also change the way you talk. It will change the way you behave. It will change the way you relate. And it will interpret. It will will affect the way you interpret the world. Now why am I telling you all this? Why am I telling you all this? The reason is because most people who call themselves Christian do not realize that they do not think like Christians. Most people do not see the world from the perspective of a Christian. I'm telling you this because as a believer, if you want to be effective in your walk with the Lord, you must see the world from the point of view of the Almighty God. You must see the world from the point of view of the Word of God. Because if you don't, you are going to miss certain things. And that is why some believers, people who claim to be believers, they take some social position that is completely opposed to what the Bible teaches. It's because they have not been able to marry the two. It's one thing for you to say you are a Christian. It's another thing for you to see the world as a Christian. It's to see your job as a Christian. To see your relationship as a Christian to see your interaction with people as a Christian. If you are not able to see that, what you will find is that you are going to do things that are opposed to the same thing that you claim that you believe. So you must see life as God sees it. And what does that mean? It means that when the question of origin comes, you believe and you are convinced that God made the heavens and the earth in his own image. When the question of purpose comes, you know that and you are convinced that we are here to worship and to glorify the name of the Lord. When the question of morality comes, you know that the problem of this world is not just bad government. It's not just people who are stealing money. It's not just people who are behaving anyhow. You will know that the problem of this world is as a result of sin. And when you deal with the issue of sin, you know that the solution comes. Can you imagine, when the Bible, when they were asking Lord Jesus Christ, they said which are the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then, the second is like unto it, which is, love thy neighbor as thyself. Can you imagine somebody who lost the Lord, so much that is sold out unto the Lord? Can you imagine that person committing adultery? No. Can you imagine that person stealing? No. Will that person kill his neighbor? No. Will they bear false witness? No why because the fundamental is there the life of god is already dwelling in their life and it changes everything so when you deal with the sin issue you solve a lot of problems you don't have to worry about somebody you know not you know not being effective in their place of work. you don't have to worry about them lying about you lying to you or 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 stealing from you at, at their place of business because the life of god is inside of them the unfortunate thing is that there are many christians who do not have the christian worldview and as a result, like I said, their lifestyle is opposed to the Christian faith. But when Jesus says come, he wants, you to, he wants your faith to align with your walk, What you are saying and the way you are living. When you say you are following Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus expects them to be able to align. He wants you to connect your head with your heart and live in accordance with that. He wants your profession to be in consonance with your conducts. So when Jesus says come, it is more than a personal piety. It's not more than coming to church. It's more than doing Bible study. It's more than just doing work of charity. It's more than discipleship. It's more than following the doctrines of the church. It is more than all those things. When Jesus says come, it is about you having a comprehensive view of the world through his eyes. That's what it means when you say come. He's saying see the world. I'm giving you an opportunity. Leave where you are standing. Come and stand where I am standing and take a look at the world and look at a different point of view. Bible tells us when, when Abraham and Lot, when they were traveling together and they had a problem and Abraham said, let it stand for us to separate. After Lot lifted up his eyes, the Bible told us what? It said that a Lot looked and he saw the beautiful part of Sodom. And after he had gone, the Lord now called Abraham and said, lift up your eyes. What do you see? It gave him a different perspective. Open his eyes to see a different thing. That what your boy is looking at is a different thing. But what I want you to see is an eternal perspective. And that is what the Lord is calling us to. So that you don't see from your natural eye. But you are able to see the things that are of eternal value. It is about seeing and comprehending reality through his eye. It is a way of understanding and discerning the laws and the ordinances by which God structured his creation. It is a way of allowing, though, uh, allowing these laws to shape our lives. When you allow the word of God to shape your life, it changes the way you talk, changes the way you behave changes the way you relate, changes your expectation, changes your aspiration. Everything about you changes when the word of God is allowed to do what it's supposed to do. And that is what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But what you see in our world today, what you see in our culture today, is a struggle, what I refer to as a struggle between two worldviews. There is a worldview that says Christianity is the way. There's another worldview that says don't worry about those people. They don't know what they're talking about. Okay? Okay. A struggle between Christian worldview and the various other worldviews that are aligned against it. The question that Christians should have to come in, you know, that they have to answer when they are dealing here, in all they are dealing is, is God the ultimate reality or is it that impersonal cosmos? Is God the final authority or is it the government? Is God the final authority or is it the things that you see in this particular world? That is one thing that Christians have to grapple with. Is it? The, is there a supernatural reality, or is there everything that we are seeing? Is this all it is? What amazes me is this: if somebody says it's not a Christian, I'm not. It's not that I'm not bothered for their soul. I'm not really worried about the things that they do because they don't know. But when a Christian takes the Word of God and begin to act contrary to it, it baffles me. That is even small. When now a preacher. Who has been given the responsibility to be the one that will declare the word of God to the people of God. If that person now takes that same word and begin to act contrary to it, it just bothers me. Because you see, there was a particular story that out of, I think it was in the North, uh, it was in the Pacific Northwest. And this individual is supposed to be an ordained minister in one of the mainline denominations in this country. And this same individual at the same time says that he is claiming also to be of Islamic faith. And then I was wondering how can you be a Christian and a Muslim at the same time? How can you say that you are representing Christ and you are representing... I mean, did you even read the texts? So I'm try- what I'm trying to say is that the, the, the reality, you know, what, what we must understand is that what where do we stand? Unless you have the mind that particular worldview of Christianity, you might have difficulty taking a stand. So when Jesus says come, how do you, the, how does he expect you to respond? When Jesus says come and follow me, how does he expect you to respond? And before we could begin to go out and go into how he wants us to respond, let me tell you how not to respond. Mm-hmm. The first thing when Jesus says, come and follow me, he is not expecting you to follow him as an impulsive believer. He doesn't want you to be an impulsive believer. In the book of Luke chapter 9 that we read the other time, the Bible tells us that a certain man came and said, I will follow you wherever you go. But let me go first of all do words. Jesus said you can't be impulsive when you are coming. In other words, you must know what you are getting yourself into. And Jesus never at any point in time painted a picture that was rosy. Painted a picture and say, Oh, when you come, you're going to become a millionaire tomorrow. He never said that to anybody. And if he, and if you hear any preacher telling you that that preacher is not telling the whole truth, yes, God can make you a millionaire. That's not what I'm saying. The point I'm making is not an overnight. God is not a magician. God is not a magician. So when Jesus said, follow me, he does not expect you to follow him as an impulsive volunteer. He does not expect you to follow him as a reluctant conscript. In other words, you are following him and you are being dragged along. That's not what he's expecting you to do. And that's why he's saying if you are willing, there is a willingness element in the following of our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot follow him as a reluctant conscript You cannot follow him as a half-hearted convert. You cannot. The reason is because Christianity is dangerous. Christianity is dangerous. As identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ is dangerous. So you cannot be half-hearted. It's either you are sold onto him or you are not sold at all. So you can follow him, number one. You cannot follow him, number one, as an impulsive volunteer. You cannot follow him as a reluctant conscript. You cannot follow him as a half-hearted convert. And finally, you cannot follow him as a glory-seeking follower. Somebody who wants to get all the accolades. You are walking and say, look at me. How good I am. How wonderful I am. See what Jesus is doing in my life. If that is why you are following him, you have missed it.
0: Thank you very much for listening to our program today. Yeah.